<laughs> have you ever wondered why we do this? I mean, you know, I mean, really, some of you have taken your only day off and you got up way earlier than you wanted to and you fight your children getting ready and you, you climb into the car and you're usually late and then you go to church. <laughs> you know, as I watched that video, I thought to myself, why are y'all here? You know, I mean, what were you thinking this morning, getting up and coming, especially on Labor Day weekend? You know, some of you have been coming to church for years. You know, you just come to church for years and you've sat in the same seat and you've heard the same stories over and over and over. And wh why do you do this? I mean, and, and if your neighbor, think about this for a second, if your neighbor were to ask you, you know, why do you go to church over at Burlington? Why do you go down there? You know, and the preacher wasn't there or somebody in the church wasn't there, what would you tell them? Why, why do you come? Is it just to come and grade the sermon and see how the guy did this week? Or is it to come and listen to some music that I kind of like? Or maybe it's to come and I don't know, eat donuts in, in small group or to drink the free coffee that they have. You know, why, why, do you, why do you come? Here's what I want to do. In your bulletin, there's a notes page, and if you want to follow along, you can have that. I'd like for those of you who take notes, just to take, I don't know, 15 seconds or so, 20 seconds, write down why you come to church. Now, if you're not a note taker, just take some mental notes, okay? Take a few seconds. You know, if we had the Jeopardy music, we would play it. But I want you to write down why you come to church. Go. All right. All right. Somebody tell me. Somebody help me out. There's no wrong answer in this. You know, we wouldn't tell you anyway, but uh, somebody tell me what's one of the reasons that you go to church. Somebody tell me. Don't be afraid. To worship. Somebody else? Pray, read, be real. Be renewed. Okay. Worship, fellowship. Any others? Mom and Dad made me. We got an honest man in the house. All right. <laughs> Any others? What's that? Donuts. Okay, well, all right. All right. All right. We have se se several reasons why, why people come to church. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to try to answer that question, why do we do this? Last week, we kind of talked about why do we do communion and Lord's Supper. This week, we're going to talk about why do we do church? Why are we here, and what are we trying to pull off when we come? Now, to understand this question, I think you first have to understand what church is. Uh, and so let's, let's give a definition of church like this. The church is the body of believers of which, or through which would be a better way of saying this. The church is the body of believers through which Jesus exists. I'm sorry, my English is bad there. Exists in our world today, Okay that we are the embodiment of Christ in the world. After the resurrection, Jesus showed himself alive to several people at several different times, up to 500 at one time, but there's several appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. After he ascends to the Father, he had told them he was going to send the Holy Spirit to them. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down, from that day until this day, Jesus has dwelt in his people through the Holy Spirit living in their life. And the church is that group through which Jesus' Spirit, the Holy Spirit, lives in and through us. Now, the early church saw themselves as the Lord's body on earth. When they talked about how they were made up, they said, we're the Lord's body, he's the head, we're many members. That's how, that's how they saw themselves. And, and uh, as the church goes forward, 
Jesus goes forward. He indwells us spiritually, and he's with us no matter where we are. In fact, Matthew 18 uh, says this. It says that where two or three are gathered together, of course, in his name, he said, I'm there among them. So, so in the broadest definition I can give, the church is um, the, the, the people through which God lives in our world today. Now, in technical terms, I want to define this in a couple of ways. There's the universal church, and that is all people at all time who've ever called on the name of Jesus, whether you're in Africa or America, Asia or Antarctica. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are a part of this universal church. And this is why if you've ever gone on a mission trip, any of y'all ever gone on a mission trip, you go there and you connect with people instantly who you've never met and really you don't even speak their language. I'll never forget when I was in Niger, West Africa, 2001, December to 2002, January. Uh, we were, uh, I, we only had one interpreter, Brad Womble, the International Mission Board missionary who was hosting our team of seven. And so we couldn't do a whole lot of verbal communication. We would do some, but couldn't do a whole lot. And so some of our day was spent just prayer walking areas and asking God to bless the, the, the people of Niger. Niger is like 99.8% Muslim. At that time, they weren't radicalized. They are becoming more so, unfortunately, uh, right now. Uh, but to maximize our time, the international missionary just said, I'm going to drop each of you off with an uh, indigenous pastor. Okay, In a village, we're going to drive to the next village. Then another group's going to drive to the next village, and we're going to let you all prayer walk for a couple hours, and then I'll come back and get you. Now, that's a pretty scary thought to be in the middle of a foreign country where you can't speak the language, and the person that is kind of hosting you, you can't communicate. But I was in this little city with a man named Adresa, uh, who all we could do was kind of smile at each other and laugh. But in this place that I should have been scared to death, God gave incredible peace because I felt like I was with a brother and a friend. And so when I got back to the missionary, I, I was wanting him to tell Adresa that I just felt like we were brothers, and I was explaining this to him how I felt. He said, oh, you don't have to. He already told me that you're his brother, and he loves you. You know, there's just that special connection we have with people because we're a part of the greater body of Christ. Now, in the New Testament, the word for church uh, is used 114 times in the New Testament. Only three of those times is talking about the church universal. You know, all of us. Most of the time, it's talking about the local church. And this is the way we think of church anyway. You know, we think of the church at um, uh, Burlington or the church at Seven Hills or First Church or the church at Erlanger. That's how we think of church, these local places. It's this uh, group we're accountable to, that we partner with, that we invest in, that we have relationships with. You know, and that group has assigned leaders and and we all have specific roles in that church, and we've members of these groups have made some sort of commitment to be faithful to one another. Well, the Bible encourages this type of participation in a local church. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then listen to verse 25. It says, Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day of the Lord's return coming. So, 
So the scripture here teaches that we are supposed to meet with one another. We're supposed to gather together. We shouldn't give up on this. It should be the practice of the local church. But this thought, local church being Burlington, and the fact that we're supposed to come together has, has tripped some people up. Uh, there's this gross misunderstanding of why we're, we're here. You know, some people believe that the value of going to church is the going. It's the right thing to do. I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to go. And, 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 and that's why we think, say things like, and you'll hear things like, well, I, I've gone to church. You know, well, I, 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 uh, I got my kids in church. You better go to church. Because somehow we've, we've got this scorecard in our mindset that God is happy if we just show up. Uh, and, and maybe unintentionally or what, but this is how we treat church. I mean, think about it. No other area of life do we keep score like this. I mean, if you're sick, I mean dead dog sick, and you need help, you don't high-five people in the waiting room because you got to the doctor's office. You want to see the doctor. And if you're needing to travel, you know, you don't celebrate the fact that you get through security, even though sometimes that is a celebration, but you don't celebrate that until you get to where you're going. Same thing, if you're starving and you go to a restaurant, you know, you, you want to eat. Nobody says, man, I was starving to death and I just went and sat in the restaurant. What'd you eat? Oh, I didn't have money, so I didn't eat anything. We don't celebrate that, but that's how we keep score in church a lot of times. You know, we, we say, well, if I get here, then I, I, I made it. You know, I didn't get anything out of it, but I went. And, and because so many of us have bought this mindset, I think somehow we think God is pleased with this. That God is up in heaven just saying, with the, you know, the angels are lined up looking over God's shoulders and God's going, they made it? They're here? You know, like there's a security camera outside that shows a direct feed up to heaven and God says, oh, Johnny's here? Did y'all, ooh, I can promise you that's not happening in heaven today. But yet that's how we act. It's how we we, we judge ourselves. And, and truthfully, because we count numbers, it's easy for us leaders to get confused and think that's what it's all about. If you teach Sunday school or you lead a Sunday school group or if you've ever been in this position, we find ourselves counting our value by how many people are here. Did you have a good day? Yeah, we had a bunch. Good day. You know, I, I serve 400 churches around Kentucky, and a lot of them said, man, if we could just get to 100, then... And then, you know, if we could just get to 200. And I remember when I was pastoring, same thing kind of fell in my heart a little bit. Man, if we just had 500 folks here, then we would really be doing something. Or if we just had 1,000, it would really be something. The problem is, this is not what God is, is grading us by. Because we've settled for this and we believe that showing up all is all there is, here's what's happened we have developed generations of people whose divorce rate is the same as those who don't call on Christ, who get speeding tickets at the same rate, maybe higher because they're always late to church, than other folks, you know, who, who, who truthfully, statistics say the crime rate is not much different among those who call themselves Christians and those who don't. Uh, but they're here. If you get nothing else today, I want you to get this. The church is a vehicle, not a destination. God's goal is not to fill seats. God's goal is to change hearts. 
The church is a vehicle through which we travel this life, but it's not the end. Our end as a believer. Here's your end as a believer. Your end is for your heart to be, reflect Jesus and your life to reflect Jesus so much so that your world around you starts to change. That is the destination of, uh, of the believer. Now, the church, if it's a vehicle, should help you get there, right? But how does it do this? Well, there's a few ways it does this. Let's, let's start with this. The church helps us get to our destination by encouraging us through regular gatherings. From the first church until today, the church has met together reg- regularly. In Acts chapter 2, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. I always like to try to give a little something different in each service, just so I know which one you were in. Uh, it says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Did I talk to you about this the other day on why the temple courts? You see, they started in an upper room, right? And if they were Baptist, if something good happens in a place, you just re- you know, rinse and repeat, right? You know, you just do the same thing over and over and over because it worked one time. Well, why would they have ever moved out of the upper room? Anybody want to give a guess? Room, space. You can only fit so many folks in that upper room. So they went to the biggest gathering place they could think about, to the temple courts, and they gathered together. And why didn't they just meet in homes? Because they could have had a lot of small groups. Because we are supposed to every now and then come together as a big group, and we're supposed to say, we can do this. It's okay. We are to encourage one another. Now, the human heart loves encouragement, and we in particular love the encouragement of somebody else agreeing with us. You know, we do. I mean, that's the reason, you know, we want people to like our likes and enjoy our interests. And that's why we have horse clubs and radio-controlled airplane clubs and lodges. And, you know, after last night's almost near death of the football team, UK football support groups. That's why we have, you know, those, those things. Because we, we like people to like the things that we like. Uh, there's strength and encouragement that comes from being around people who are on the same page or trying to accomplish the same thing. Same is true with faith. There's strength and encouragement from being with people who believe like you. You know, so, so when your boss treats you like garbage, you get to come on Sunday morning and you find people who treat you like you're valuable. Or, or when your marriage is struggling, you, you, you get to come to people who will pray for you and love you and encourage you. You know, it, 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 in school... You know, somebody might ridicule you because of your faith. You come to church and people are saying, yeah, you believe, awesome. Or, you know, you have folks who just celebrate your victories with you. Or people who walk through your struggles with you where you're not condemned. Um, we're to encourage one another. Isn't that what the verse says, verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10? It says, don't give up meeting together because some folks are saying church doesn't matter. It's not important. You shouldn't be there. He says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. That's what we're to do. You should come in here and be encouraged. Will I step on your toes every now and then? Yes, I will. If you're here long enough, I can guarantee you I will. Um, but I pray that every week that even if I step on your toes or you feel lower than you know, a snake's belly, you know, I pray every week that you find someone encouraging you and saying, hang in there. His grace is enough. He loves you. His mercy endures forever. 
I pray that you find that encouragement in church. Now, another role that church is to play is church is to foster relationships where people can become family, where people can, can become a community uh, uh, and minister to each other. If you read um, the New Testament at all, you're going to be confronted with a phrase over and over and over again. It's the phrase, one another. Y'all have seen the one another's in Scripture. Well, let me just share a few of those. John 15, 17 says, This is what I command you, love one another. Ephesians 4, 32 says, Be kind to one another. In Romans 15, 17, he says, Accept one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Be hospitable to one another. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, Carry one another's burdens. There's all these things that we're supposed to be doing for one another, and here's a fact. Take it to the bank. You cannot one another yourself. Now that's deep. But you just can't pull that off. You need uh, uh, this community. You need to be connected. And that's what church is. It's a place where relationships can develop that allow you to do this. I mean, that's the reason that we have small groups. You know, that's the reason that we have pizza after Thrive. You know, that's the reason that you have ball teams. From what I hear, it sure can't be just to win. You know, that's the reason that we have all of these things. You know, uh, we want to push people together. We want to create an atmosphere where people can learn from one another and can care for one another and be cared for. This might include taking care of somebody who's sick. You know, somebody who's sick in your, your, your family. You know, y'all pull together and you provide meals for them for a week or two just to help them through that hard time. It, it might be helping someone who's fallen on hard times. You know, some, somebody got laid off. Somebody messed up really bad and needs somebody to walk alongside of them. It might be listening to someone whose world is falling apart or celebrating a birth of a child. It might be telling somebody, man, you're really harming yourself, brother. You need to be careful in that. that that's what church is, is to be. And this week... I won't give you a lot of specific to-dos, but today I'm going to give you a specific to-do one. This week, what I encourage you to do is when you leave this place, you go out this door, you turn to your left, and there's a table out there with sign-up sheets for small group. As long as I'm here, you will hear this over and over and over. I want to push you into small groups, whether it be small groups in Sunday school on Sunday morning or small groups in homes or, uh, or, or small groups that meet at other locations. We have lots of small groups that are being offered in this church right now at this time. And the good news is, if you sign up today, you're getting in on the ground floor. They kick off again next week, and I want to push you to that. Now, this is not something that I'm doing for Burlington. It's something that I believe deep, deep in my soul. I was a pastor of Edgewood Baptist Church in Hopkinsville. Uh, and uh, I was there for 14 years, almost, 13 and a half, pushing toward 14 we did not have one year of negative growth. Y'all understand what I mean by that? We went from 150 to 210 to 260 to 340. We had one year of 40% growth. We had one year of 39% growth. We experienced incredible growth in that time. But you know what happened? By the time I left, we were running about 850 people pretty much every Sunday, big Sundays. Normal big Sundays were right at 900 people. Easter's a different animal. But y'all understand, we'd grown quite a bit. Y'all know what happens when a minister, and they love me, I love them. We went through a lot together, but I I think they still love me when I left, (laughs) you know. Uh, But y'all know what happens when a minister whose love leaves a place. 
the air kind of goes out. You know, we had 850. It went almost in about a year down to 675 folks. That's a pretty quick exodus. But let me tell you something. Because my focus was never on the show, and, and, we, and I, I hate to use those terms, but I just want, there's so much more going on than the show. We are singing praises to God. Hopefully we're proclaiming God's truth. But we want you to enjoy it. We want you to glean and enjoy. I, I, I will not apologize for that. I'm not one who wants to come in here and you have to endure. You know, and if you do, don't tell me. Let me be delusional. I told y'all that last week. Stage people are delusional. But, but I, here's what... When the show changed, the people who were just connected with the show left. You know, here, here's the thing I want to tell you about Edgewood, the story. When I left there, we had 550 people in small groups, Sunday school, Bible study, whatever you want to call it, okay? 550 people. In the interim, while the big number was shrinking, their core was growing. They ran 580 people when the new pastor was called in Sunday school. I got a phone call last week with someone celebrating with me that last, on August the 23rd, Edgewood had 715 people in Bible study. Different people in Bible study. Now, here's the deal. When, when things change here, if you have no connections beyond the here, it changes the way you enjoy and the way you experience but if the body is connected to one another, when things get difficult, the body stays strong. So that's why we foster relationships and we push people into a one another uh, type of, uh, of commitment where, where you care for one another. See, I know this. I don't just believe this, but I know this. Your faith has been developed the most in a smaller circle, a co-worker, a mom and a dad, uh, uh, a relationship with uh, a person who became your spouse who loved Jesus and they pushed you toward loving Jesus. That's how very few of us have a story where that guy who preached to a thousand of us that one time, he might have given me kind of that sugar rush, but we're talking about real nutrition where I grew. It happens in that small circles. We develop most in the smallest of circles. So what will I do as your interim pastor? I'm going to push you all the time towards smaller circles. I'm going to push you all the time to get to know people, to flesh out your faith in relationships with one another. That's why I used to say at Edgewood all the time. I used to say it every Sunday almost. Man, if you only have one hour to give, I encourage you to give it to small groups. And then I'd follow it up with, but I'm pretty sure you got two. So anyhow, but I do encourage you. So if you're here today, I want to push you today to do something. Here's a real quick step. I'd like for you to do this. You don't have to sign your name on dotted line today, but I'd like you to take home a piece of paper and pray about being connected in a small group. Men's group, married groups, women's groups, you know, gr single group. Just get involved in a group where you're figuring out how do I live faith 24-7. And maybe some of y'all here, you don't see a group that would fit you. I tell you what, if God lays on your heart and you will meet with the leadership of the church to understand what we're trying to pull off in these groups, who knows? God might use you to, to develop a group in this place. So we encourage you to do this. Real disciples are made in small groups. This is why Jesus invested in 12. 
He didn't preach to 5,000 every day. Invested in 12, and then really he invested in three because he knew. If I'm going to build something that's going to change the world, it's going to happen in the smallest of circles. So, uh, The way I understand the New Testament, every week the church gathered together, and one component that they had is they uh, um, would prepare people to do ministry that God has uh, assigned them. We meet each week so that you can be prepared to go out and do the work of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, another passage that talks about the church, says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Why, verse 12 says? To prepare God's people for works of service so that they may be built up. Now let's go back to verse 11 real quickly. It was he who gave some to be apostles. Apostles, people who were sent with a message, missionaries. God puts people in the church who's going to push his church to do missions. He, he gives some to be prophets to warn, man, danger ahead. Don't go that way. That's going to hurt you. God puts those people in our midst so that we'll know where the pitfalls are in church. Some to be evangelists who share their faith naturally, who challenge all of us to be witnesses as we've been called to be. Some to be pastors to provide that care for the congregation and to shepherd the congregation uh, of the Lord. And some to be teachers to teach you to know how to answer the questions that you're going to get. You know, so you'll understand your faith. So when somebody says, oh, the Bible's just full of errors, or the Bible's just, uh, or, no, I don't know why you believe that. That's dumb. Nobody. You need to have someone who's teaching you. How do you respond when those things and type of criticisms comes your way? Now, why do we do this? Verse 12 says we do it to build up the body of Christ. And then I love verse 13. We almost never read it. But verse 13 says we build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature. You see, I believe one of the roles of the church is to promote unity among believers. We don't often think about that as being a part of the church's job, but one of the roles of the church was to ensure that people don't start arguing and fighting over stupid stuff. And I know that would never happen here, you know, where people would argue and fight over stupid stuff. You know, we'd never argue over parking spots or color of the carpet or service times or style of music or preference of Bible versions or building usages or, you know, I heard a story one time about a church that I'm told is true. Uh, it's happened in Mayfield, Kentucky in the 1800s. There was this church where it had two kind of leaders who just didn't like each other. And so if one said black, the other said white, and that was just kind of how the deal went. Well, one day the preacher came in and didn't have a place to put his hat. And so one of these men thought, you know, I need to put a peg on the wall so the preacher can hang his hat. The other leader got ticked off. And he said, why in the world wasn't I consulted about this? And so, you know, they had the back and forth and they started bickering and the two sides took sides. And to this day, I'm told, I don't know this for a fact, but to this day, I'm told that there is an anti-peg Baptist church near Mayfield, Kentucky. Do you know what would happen if believers ever got over being stupid and pig-headed? Jesus did. Jesus did. Yeah, listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. Uh, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus prays for his disciples. And this is a pivotal moment. He's getting ready to leave. And so he, he's saying a prayer that means something to them. And so Jesus prayed that they would be strengthened, that they would be focused, they would be protected. But he also prayed for us. Listen to John 17. 
My prayer is not only for them alone. That's the 12 disciples, my pra- or 11 disciples at this time. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Guess who that is? That's us. It's been passed down to us. We believe. Then listen to what he says next. I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And then listen to verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, and the reason I gave them this glory, and that's eternal life, that is his spirit within, that is I've given them this, that they may be one. Wow. God says, here's the reason I poured this in. Jesus says, here's the reason I poured this into them so that they may be one. And then listen to what he says. Really important. I and them, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them. That's a really convicting passage to me. Because what I hear from this is there are people who don't believe that Jesus loves them and they don't believe that God is real because they look at us. Sometimes the church has helped our evangelistic efforts. Sometimes the church has hurt our evangelistic efforts. (sighs) Do people believe that Jesus is great because of what they see here? Or do they see us gossiping about one another or taking sides over issues or worrying about stuff that is or trying to push agendas or trying to or having to have ours or you know what the killer of unity is? Selfishness. That's the the enemy of unity. Jesus said, if they're unified, the world will know you sent me and they'll believe. So, here's what's supposed to happen when you come to church. You're to be encouraged, you're to be cared for, you're to be built up, and you're to be unified. And this is where the vehicle of church is supposed to take us. But the problem is, y'all know what the problem is, don't you? A lot of church experience is nothing like this. Instead of feeling unified, you go for weeks and you never get connected. You feel like an outcast or maybe you went to church for a while and need arose and you're drowning in this need and that's all you ever think about and nobody's thinking about it or asking about it. You wanted to get involved and nobody showed you how. You, you got burned from a former church and you've been out for a while and you're hesitant. I don't want to go through that again. You, know, you might think it's a waste of time. I'm not getting anything out of it. I serve 400 churches, and I want to tell you some of them are bad. It's just the reality. Some of them are really bad. And and I've been here long enough to recognize, I didn't have to be here this long to recognize it, but I realize Burlington's not perfect either. Just not. But maybe, just maybe, some of your problems with church might be that your expectations are wrong. I'm going to show up to church and that sermon's just going to fix everything. I showed up today and he talked about church and I had different stuff going on. Or, or maybe, you know, the, your, your issue is, you know, you, you, you're, you're struggling with, you know, uh, uh, you, you know the, your kids and you thought, you know, if I just bring them to church a few weeks, they're going to get better. 
you know. Really? Are you sure? Can it help? Sure. Does that mean they're automatically going to turn around because you drag them to church when they don't want to go? I don't know. You know, it's part, part of hopefully it'll help, but... Or maybe you just thought, wait a minute, preacher, I thought attending was all that was required, and it, it's just, I went to church, and my life still didn't turn out the way that I wanted, or my bank account didn't grow, or my health got worse, or my, and all, it just piles on, and we start, maybe your problem is your expectations. You know, if you believe just coming to church and getting counted was the answer, you're going to be disappointed. And if this church has ever given you that impression, I'm really sorry. Uh, please forgive us. We, we have an answer, but it's not just coming here. My 14-year-old daughter had a birthday on Friday. She turned 14, my youngest. Uh, to understand what I'm about to tell you, you have to understand where we come from. We're from rural western Kentucky. The church that I served was in a town of about 35,000 people, maybe about 80,000 in the county. So it wasn't like rural, rural. You know, we're not talking about dueling banjos type of stuff here. But it was, sorry, it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty rural, okay? But our church sat on 30 acres, and the only thing developed on that 30 acres was our church and the parking lot. So my oldest daughter at 14 started learning to drive we'd go over to the parking lot and she'd take off you know if she drove out in the field who cared you know it wasn't a big deal it's just you know what we did well now you notice my, you know that my younger daughter's watching all this and so she has her 14th birthday this last week and we live in lexington right now <laughs> And she's like, Dad, when are you taking me driving? I'm ready to go. And I'm like, honey, I don't, when we go back to Hopkinsville, I guess. But, uh, uh, but she started studying her driver's manual. I mean, she's going to ace this test, and when she gets home, she's going to be ready to go. Now, let's just imagine the day she passes her permit test. Now, you're going to have to really imagine, because this is a stretch beyond stretch, that I buy her a new car. Okay? <laughs> All right, and, and we open up the garage. When we get home from taking the driving test in there, I, it sets, and I say, it's yours, honey. Dad, it's mine. Yeah, it's yours. Can, can we go for a drive? Yeah, we can go for a drive. That's what your permit's for. Let's go. Okay, Dad, okay, let me go get my cool stuff on so I can look cool to drive. All right, you go do that. Y'all know how that goes. Anyhow, I'm sitting in the car waiting on her. She gets in the car. Uh, she gets in. I said, now, honey, don't be in a hurry. Let's take this in. Smell. Smell the leather. It's nice, isn't it? You know? And then I, and then I say, she's, she's ready to go ready to turn the car on. I said, no, 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 wait, honey. Let, let, let's see how the radio works first. And so we get it where she can turn the radio on. She cranks it up. I said, isn't that nice? Yeah, yeah. You ready to go, Dad? I said, well, now, don't be in a hurry. Let's roll down the windows. Just take it in. Oh. Hey, are you? Yeah, yeah. I said, well, I tell you what. Let the garage door up and then turn it on. She turns it on. I mean, it hums. And I said, I'll give it a little gas. Let's see what, you know, let it, let it. She, she presses the gas and radio stumping. Wind, uh, the windows are down. Uh, she, she's taking it all in. She's ready to go. And then I say, now turn it off, honey. That's all for today. <laughs> Do you know how frustrated she's going to be? 
You see, a vehicle is meant to take you somewhere, and you only enjoy it if it does. That's true in church as well. Church is supposed to take us somewhere. We're supposed to be becoming more like Jesus. We're supposed to be seeing the power to overcome sin. We're supposed to be realizing God is using us to change the world. If we're not seeing that, of course you're frustrated. You know what? You will enjoy church more, Burlington, when you start becoming more like Christ. You will enjoy church more when you start leaving this place trying to change your world. I I want this to happen, and in my commitment to you as your interim pastor, is I will try to lead you in the, who knows, three to five months that I'm here. Nine months I'm here. Who knows how long the Lord might have me here. But in that time, I will try to lead you to that place to where when you come to church, it's not just, man, I enjoyed his stories and that was kind of fun. That'll help my life to become like Christ. And that'll help us reach the world. Now, there's one thing that I can't help with. And that's if your heart is hard. I can't fix a hard heart. Nobody can. Except for God. And so if you're here today and your heart has been hardened to God, my prayer for you is that in just a moment that God would overwhelm your soul and he would break you and you would realize life is more than just collecting dollars and collecting some notoriety for yourself or experiencing as much pleasure as you can experience because the pleasure and the dollars and the notoriety are all going to fade away. But there is an eternity that is far beyond anything we could experience in this world. And my prayer is that God in these few moments will break your heart and help you realize your need for that eternity and for that type of real life. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, share your word today. God, I share as someone who is in definite need of your mercy. I'm not someone who has it figured out completely, but God, you have been gracious to me, and, and Lord, your grace has been enough. Lord, thank you for, through my lifetime, putting me with bodies of believers who've sought to serve you, and Lord, for a time such as this, you have put me with this body of believers, and Lord, may we together as your church here locally in Burlington do our best to share the good news with the people around us and to see not only our hearts changed, but this community's hearts changed as well. God, I ask, Lord, that you would speak in this time of our commitment and decision. And I pray that we would respond to your Spirit's leading. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you your takeaways. If you're a note taker and you're a little OCD, I want to give you these takeaways before we move forward, okay? Number one, I want you to recognize that just coming to church is not the goal. Do I want you here? Absolutely. It's much more fun to preach to people than to pews. You know, so I I absolutely want you here. uh, But uh, that's not the goal. Number two, I want you to commit to one another involvement. I, I really do. I want you to take a step in. Some of you, you've been coming for years and you've never taken that step in. Why not? You might be the person that can help sharpen that person that, that God is wanting to do a work in their life. 
And my guess is he'll use them in yours as well. Third thing I want you to take away today is that, uh, you know, it is our responsibility to repent of bad attitudes and behaviors that have harmed the church. You know, I'm going to be your interim pastor for a while. Um, but part of my role is to help us to focus on the real prize. You know, y- y'all been through some ups and downs the last year, maybe in some of your minds the last 20 years. Who knows? Uh, you, you, it is a bad attitude to always focus on harm that's done and not focus on hope that is in front. We forget what is behind and we press on toward that which God has laid in front of us. And that is this church's responsibility. And if you've been a person that's been hanging on and, and mad that something was done this way or not done this way or should have been done or should... You know, it, honestly, it's time for us to start moving forward. And so maybe that's what you need. You're, this is your family that you've been connected to. You want it to do well. Harmful attitudes and, and, and behaviors are, are not helping. So I encourage you to repent of those things. And uh, fourth thing I would say is I, I would encourage you to join a local church. I'd encourage you today to join this church. You know, you might be here today and you have no idea how to do that. Here, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You can come forward and talk to me, but I'll be honest, that's probably the weirdest thing unless you're a Baptist you've ever heard of in your life. Here's what you do. If you want to talk more about joining the church today, if you'll catch me afterwards... I'll be glad to talk to you, and then I'm going to hand you off to somebody who knows how to join this church, okay? That's how that's going to work. But I, if I'm a safe place to start with, I'll be out here in the lobby, and you can find me and say, hey, I am interested in joining this church. I'd like to know how that's done here, and we'll explain that to you. Um, and, and then finally, you know, I talked very straight to a couple of you a minute ago. If your heart is hard, only Jesus can change it. Now, I am going to ask you to do the hardest of hard things. I'm going to ask you if you feel the Holy Spirit convincing you that there is more to this life than you've been living for. I'm going to ask you to come forward. And I want you. There's a lot of things you could come to the altar, but I'm going to ask you if this is you to come talk to me and say, Nick, I, I, I want to know how do you give your life to Jesus. And I'd be glad to explain that to you. Communion will be offered as well if you would like to take today. Uh, but we're going to stand right now and sing. If God speaks to you, won't you come?